What's the deal? It's your boy Chris Childs, aka Young Light Skin Hokage, business mogul, entrepreneur, artist slash shoe customizer. You can find me at underscore Chris Childs on social media or www.shopchrischilds.com. And you tuned into the candy shop. Yeah, dig. Everybody, it's Gina Payne from Let's Talk About It, the show where no subject is off limits. You can catch us everywhere Fridays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And we're coming to YouTube real soon. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Let's with two S's Talk About It underscore. So, without further ado, you are now listening to Candyman TV. Let's get into the show. Yo, what's good? It's your boy Candyman. Y'all listen to the Candy Shopper in the 54 countries. Told y'all I got some more guests coming on the podcast, y'all. I know y'all been waiting. We just had the realtor. We got a whole bunch of guests coming up. But today we got a very, very special guest on a legendary episode of the podcast. Y'all already know, Ohio in the building. Besides just me, Columbus, Ohio in the building. My boy, Jarrell Lamar is in the building. How you doing, man? I'm blessed. I'm healthy. I'm happy. And I'm here. It's great to hear. It's great to hear. Yeah, we actually met on um, this uh, podcast group, and I was looking for guests to be on the show, and Jarrell got some wisdom he trying to drop. So, Jarrell, tell tell everybody a a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm I'm a 47-year-old black man. Uh, I'm a barber. That's my occupation, been a barber for... Nine years previous before that, I was incarcerated for 13 years and 10 months. Uh, During that time, I had to be a man and face the music. I made my bed. I had to lay in it. And, you know, first couple years, it was really hard to adjust because, you know, I really wasn't a street person. I was a working man, a family man. I had, you know, had kids and had had a wife at that time. And, you know... I just had to go ahead and do what I needed to do to make things better for myself because I was, the time was doing me and I wasn't doing the time. And I decided to, after a while of, you know, years of questioning and soul searching and trying to figure out what was going on with me internally and what was my issues coming from, I went and got through all that and kind of like reprogrammed myself and my thinking going through classes and meditation and really seeking, you know, take advantage of the opportunities to, you know, for betterment. And uh, I end up going through a whole lot of different things while in prison, you know, learning and just absorbing. And, you know, I went to the hole a lot during my period, my beginning of my time there. So I would use that that time to start, you know, reevaluate myself and, you know, start asking myself questions like, you know, am I a problem? And, uh, I watched this movie, the movie called Life, with Eddie Murphy and L- Martin Lawrence, and they had a character called no, not, Can't Get Right. And I started asking myself, am I can't get right? And, you know, I, I, norm- I normally have these conversations within myself. Uh, you know, I had to face the music because I believe that you got to be real with yourself before you're real with anyone else, and I had to be real with myself. So I made the proper adjustments, and once I did that, you know, there's levels to life. It's always another level that you have to get on it's like pac-man you know you know you, you get the object of the game is you got to eat and stay away from the ghost and if you do all that you go to the next level and the next level is much more challenging than the last level 
So after I completed that challenging level, things started getting smooth for me. So I ended up going to barber school and, you know, getting, I had to get something out of them because they was getting 35000 a year out of me. I had to get something out of them. Fair exchange ain't no robbery. Uh, I'm a father of an eight-year-old. I've had her since she was five, went to court. To, to Actually, I had her since she was three. Went to court and got custody. And, you know, it was me and her. She lives with me, you know, Monday, Monday through Friday and go to her mother's on the weekend. And, you know, it's just really adjusting to the world. Took me a minute, but once I got her, like 2016, I got out 2012, 2016, I ended up getting her and, you know, she just made me grow up. She made me grow up. Uh, I'm into kids. I love kids. Uh, I'm a mentor to kids. I have like a, a group of like about eight, eight year olds. They all turned in nine that I've been cutting since they were like three, four years old. So, you know, we go out, we, we, we go to movies, any Marvel movie we'll go to and I'll dress up. Last movie we went to was we'll see Spider-Man. I dressed up in the Spider-Man suit and, and I just love kids because they're the future. Teenagers, my teenager, teenage guys, they come to me and they talk to me. I'm just a pillar of my community. I'm an elder. Uh, I, I'm, I give people what I felt I needed if I was in their shoes. So I am. That's pretty, I keep my life simple. You know, if you keep life simple, you won't get into anything. That's when, you know, your life ain't simple, your life's going to be complicated. When it's complicated, that comes issues. And you're making yourself, making life a little harder than that. So I try to avoid the little things and, you know, just keep my life real simple. Go to work, come home, you know, and, and take care of my daughter and repeat the cycle. Okay, okay. Well, I want to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty. I do want to get to, uh I want to get to uh a little bit to your you know what did the time you did locked up but so are you are you from are you from uh Columbus or are you just yeah. okay how what was it like growing up in Columbus back in the day? Columbus was you know Columbus back in the day it, it was just simple. You know, it was just kids in the neighborhood getting together. I wasn't a delinquent or anything. I didn't start getting into, you know, my life didn't start, you know, turning for the worse until I was like 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. I found out that the man that my mother married wasn't my father. So I, he was all I knew until I was about that age. And it did something to me. So, but, you know, life was much, it was easy. It, it was simple. It was fun. And we lived in a nice neighborhood, a family-oriented neighborhood. You know, went to school and, you know, grew up with a bunch of kids that, uh, you know, from elementary to high school. So it, it was cool. I didn't have no complaints about, you know, the life that I lived during that time. Okay. So you, so I figured that when you found out that he wasn't your father, that's when it kind of, everything started uh, going, going pretty much like downhill. Yeah, I went through a, uh, I went through a depression, and you know, that's when I started having suicidal thoughts. Not killing myself, but I just, I, I just felt like, you know, didn't nobody want me, uh, and you know, I, I just didn't know how to deal with the situation, and it dealt with me, and I went about just, I, I was just messed up. It, it kind of messed me up, uh, and I just went downhill. 
And then, you know, about when I was 20, 18, 20, around there, I started getting in trouble, getting in trouble with the law. Did that affect your relationship with your mother at all? It definitely did. It it definitely did. It took me till I was in my 30s to forgive because I started understanding that in order to heal, you got to forgive first. So, you know, I, I it it kind of, you know, I've asked questions and, you know, with my, within myself, I really couldn't talk to my mother about the situation. I just had to, it was kind of like, you know, this is what it is and you deal with it. And I, I didn't deal, I didn't handle it correctly. And, you know, it just, it, it kind of, pushed us away. We started getting, you know, falling out and having issues among each other because, you know, I was, you know how they say, they say hurt people hurt people. I went through a whole period of that because I was hurt. You know, my mother married, you know, my stepfather and they had two kids and, you know, afterwards it kind of, when I found out, it kind of made me feel, you know, unwanted. You know, he would say little things like, you know, you know what you do, when you got a bucket full, a barrel full of good apples and one half, one rotten apple, you get rid of the rotten apple. You know, things like that. When you say things like that to a teenager who's always going through things, it makes them feel unwanted. Dang. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd feel the same way for real. Especially like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just isolating you out from everybody else and just making making it seem like you the only bad guy in the house or in a situation. Yeah. I was mischief. I was a mischievous kid. I wasn't, you know. I never went to DH, and you know, I was suspended for school one time for fighting my old school year. And um, you know, it's just I did. I felt I needed counseling or somebody to talk to, and I didn't have that. And you know, your past life could give you lessons if you can pay attention to it, and the lessons can turn into gems for other people. So that's what I basically do. I speak from my experience, and I speak from the heart and give people things that I would need if I was in their, their shoes. Cause I have a lot of people that call me, especially the youth. I understand that the youth is what the youth is. And the problem with the youth today is they don't have nobody to talk to. So I offer that to, to those who I know. Now I mentor a couple people and you know, my biggest achievement was the 17, 18 year old white kid came to the barbershop and she, uh, he, we talked. And he, we happened to go to the same high school. He had dropped out, and I talked him into going back. And one day he came back and showed me his diploma. And you know, right from there, I'm like, I can make a difference. And that was like, you know, about two years after I got out. Not even two years, like a full eighteen months after I got out. Ah, uh, that's good though. Always, always great to be inspiring. So, what? Um, so if you don't mind, uh, what exactly led to you getting locked up? Was was that the first time you got locked up or did you get locked up previous uh, times? I had, uh, I, you know, little, little stuff, theft and things of that nature. This is all between the age of 19 to 24. I, I did a, a robbery in 96. I got, you know, let off. 
laid off of my job and, you know, bills had to be paid and I just couldn't take, I couldn't get another job in time to pay these bills because you know how that works. You got to wait two weeks to get your check and, you know, rent. I was the main provider, financial provider of the household with me, my wife, and my two, our two kids. So, you know, I, I felt like I had to do what I, I didn't want to do because that wasn't my life. And I'm getting caught up there 18 months in the, uh, what we call the workhouse in Columbus. And that period was just, that was the worst time of my life. I was uh, depressed, of course, for being in prison. I've never been in a situation like that or among prisoners and thugs and street, street people, you know, street niggas and all that stuff. So, you know, I took out a lot of my frustrations on other, you know, other people. Like in and all going to the hole and you know I just was was hurt. Then I got out in two thousand ninety eight. Got out ninety eight. Did about eight months and I met up with this guy and we started doing and we was we was stick up boys in a in a in a drug game. You know, kicking the doors and you know lay people down and you know just 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 wilding out, not really caring, wanting to hurt people. So um, when I was 24, 23, 24, I ended up catching a uh, attempted murder. And, but, you know, the police lied and twisted around and was facing 48 years. So they told me, they gave me a deal, 14 years for the attempted murder. But the attempted murder, it was actually on a police officer because the police officer was supposed to have been in, I got sent to the house. And I guess a dope dealer was supposed to be connected and whatnot. And I had got shot twice in my face and uh, grazed on my shoulder. And, you know, the rest is history. Dang. So did the cop try to shoot you or what yeah, happened there? First, the first is crazy. I mean, I can get into this. How it's, it was crazy. You know, I'm in a car. The girl, this girl took me there and told me the house. And i like, you know, let's circle around and I'll tell you the house. Did that. I'm in the back seat behind her and I have a nine millimeter and a Ruger 22. So I look at the, I get the Ruger ready, pull the clip out. There's six bullets in there, put it in, put it back in, put one in the head, let it down, let it go and lay it down. I get the nine millimeter and there's four bullets, put one, put it back, clip back in cocky back, put one in the head, and when I let go, it discharged. Now, mind you, the guy who set this all up, he told me that the gun was a new gun. So, you know, didn't know it went off. She didn't get hit. I don't know where the bullet went, but everything happened for a reason now that, you know, I, I can look back. Because when I went into the house, the alarm was already when it went off. So I'm like, I'm already in there. My mentality was I'm going to get rich or die trying because at that time I really didn't care about life and like I said I wouldn't go and ever take my life I would prefer someone else to do it I was that deep down in the darkness and you know first shot I turned the light on because it was like 12 at night and completely dark turned the light on and I hear a gunshot so the nine millimeters in my left hand and I go to look I look down at it and it's crazy because the, the, the shot I heard the shot and I immediately looked down and I have a graze under my left nostril where the bullet grazed my head. Now, and then when I look up, I get hit in my chin. It went in my chin, came out the bottom, and went to my neck. So, you know, if that gun didn't go off in the car, 
it's a police officer, I probably wouldn't be here. That's crazy. Man. Yep. So what what happened after that? Like how what what led up to the police? I let off shots. She she it was a female too at that. She let off a whole clip, and I'm stuck because there's a couch behind me, and I can't go nowhere. So that's how I got grazed in my right shoulder. And after the bullets, you know, the gun stopped firing, I fired and ran out the house, and I'm having to go to the hospital. And the rest is history. Dang. Yeah. Well, I was broken spirit, spiritually, spiritually, and mentally. I was, I was broken. Hmm. So that and this and so that's what led up to you getting locked up for the eleven years. Yeah, I did eight. I was out eight. Did eighteen. Was out eight, and then ended up getting fourteen years. 14. But it took you know a good time and going to school and all that. I got a couple months taken off of it. That I didn't get out till I was thirty-eight. So what what was your experience like in there? Like, did you go to like a what kind what kind of facility did you go to? Uh, I started off at Ross Correctional, and I could and I got they transferred me to one of the worst prisons in Lucasville because I they have reviews like yearly reviews, and when I had my yearly reviews, I had so many points, tickets, and. They call them tickets, so they add all the bad things and the good things, and you know they considered I, I had a failure to adjust, <laughs> which I'm proud of because uh, that wasn't that wasn't my life. I didn't know how to deal with it. So when I went to a place called Lucasville, I had got with some good people, and that's where I realized it's very important to have a strong team, a support team around you. And these guys, older cats, seen something in me, and. They were all, and I, they were always challenged me, give me books, and we'll talk. And you know, if I did some dumb stuff, I had to answer. And I've never had that in my life. It was always being chastised and you know yelled at and this, that, and other. I never got that question. Why did you do that? What was you thinking? So once I start getting that, I start asking myself that, because for me, uh, what's understood. Is what's understood. It should not be explained to myself. So I had to understand and explain it. And once I got that clarity, I would make the proper adjustments and make sure that I didn't do that. And if the situation came up again, I would handle it totally different. Because in my life, I get second chances. It's like if I blow a play, I consider myself a playmaker because this game called life is a game. You know, you got to play it right. And if you don't, you know, you're not going to be successful and your life is going to be hard. So I had to make adjustments. I always use the metaphor. I use sports as a knowledge of life. It's kind of like when New England and Atlanta was playing. Atlanta was getting in a butt the first half. And New England went to halftime and made some serious adjustments. And, you know, we already know what happened after that. It would come back in the history of the Super Bowl. So I took that and put it in myself. You know, got to make adjustments. So, you know, I, after I got out of Lucasville, you know, I was reading books. My first book that I remember is to be like Mike, like to have that Michael Jordan mentality that you, you're going to try to be the best that you can be and work on your craft and, and, and not be and not be determined, not be be determined to be successful. So, you know, did all that and, you know, moved on and on my security. I went to school, got my GED, you know, got my GED and start moving forward from that. 
and things started getting a lot easier. So like my first four years, four and a half years was was very, my first three years, two years, three years was very hard. But after that, when I, you know, ten the other decade that I had left, I started making some very good improvements. I started challenging myself, asking myself, like, can you? Can you make it a week without getting in trouble? And, you know, once I proved that to to myself, I built my confidence up. And it's like, can you make it a month? And how I many can you be consistent? Because it's all about consistency in a person's behavior. And, you know, I, I accept the challenge and I did what I needed to do to start making, you know, then I ended up going to Lebanon. I wasn't, the place called Lebanon wasn't there for a very long time, maybe a month and a half. I mean, maybe a month, 18 months, and then ended up going to London, Ohio. And when I got to London, Ohio, everything was pretty much, I did all the, the major work within me. And London was just, it was just fun. London, I realized that I, I was the leader. I learned how to be a leader. You know, getting, I would, I love sports, very good at sports. So my sports was flag football. And I will always get some of the, 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 not nobody's, but the, uh, I mean, I ain't gonna buzz, but the lower talent. And I would make them believe in me, like, give me a chance and I'll show you, because I can show you better than I can tell you. They trusted me, and I led, I took some regular players who just wanted to play football, probably never played in their life or wasn't serious about it. And, you know, they believed in me. And we won, we won a lot of games that we shouldn't have won. We were very competitive. And that gave me the, the confidence to become a leader that, you know, recognize that I am a leader. And then when that went, after that, you know, I ended up getting a job, just putting things together, events, tournaments, you know, things for the inmates to, to have to do afterwards. And I'm very successful in all, anything that I put in. So that gave me the confidence. Being in London gave me the confidence to understand that I am something special. I'm here for a reason. You know, there's so many situations that I was in before where I could have killed someone. I should have killed someone. You know, stories about that. I should have killed someone. I should have been in jail. I should have did life or I, I could have been dead. So I took all that and just, you know, convinced myself that you're here for a reason. And you have to find that reason and make the best out of it. So I got my life. I got my barber license in there. And my, you know, I was half, I was a little bit, I was a, a little bit over half way of getting to where I needed to be. So, you know, that, that, that's that right there. So, um, what, uh, what year, what, for, well, before that, I was going to ask what year did you, uh, get your barber's license, but what made you want to get into barbering? You know, it's, that's funny you guys, I was talking, I was thinking, I was speaking about that on live, my live today. On Facebook, and I had they. I had two options. I put it we, what they call kites. You send them to the education department, or whenever you want to talk to somebody, you got to send a kite. And I sent a kite to barber school in HVAC. And the first one that came, that's what I was going with. It happened to be barber. But come to find out, I have on my mother's side. I can name like about eighteen people, including a couple of my kids who either were barbers or cosmetologists. Hair, in other words, hair is in my DNA. My grandfather was a barber. He, he was a barber. My uncles, my uh, sister is a cosmetologist. I can go on and on who, who people in my family that actually do hair. So it was already in me. I just didn't know because I never did no research or I never talked to anybody. I didn't have nobody to talk to about these things. All I can do is just sit back in the background and, and listen. Hmm. 
Okay, so yeah, that's in your blood, DNA. It's a barber. That's yeah. what's up, though. What uh, what and what year did you get it? Your barber. I, started, I graduated two thousand and nine. Okay, okay. So then, after that, it just took off from there. Now, do you what? Did you did you? You obviously you know a lot of people who needed like you know barbering or whatnot. How how did the barbering start off like? So when I got out. I got out November the 27th. It's crazy. November is a crazy month because I got locked up in 96 when I did the 18 months. I got locked up November the 20th. And then I ended up getting out November, you know, catching my, you know, catching after I caught that 14 years, I got out November the 27th. So when I came home, you can imagine, I'm just like a kid in a candy store. And there's the, the world has completely changed. But I was missing prepared for it because proper preparation prevents poor performance. That's the five P's that I learned in prison. If you're not properly prepared for a test, you're not going to do good. So I was properly prepared in prison to deal with the society because I would ask uh, revolving door inmates, which is inmates that came through, left and came back. I would pick their brain and find out what was new out there. And one thing he stressed it was the women. The women are totally different, which I come to find out is completely true. I got caught up, maybe mothers were on some other stuff. And, you know, I just got caught up. My first three, four years, it was nothing but women, women in freedom. And like I said, after after that, I started settling down. I got my mistake was I got into a relationship right off the rip because I didn't want to be with my mother. I was, a, you know, I was like, I'm a man. I can't. I'm 38 years old. I'm 40, 38 years old, and I just yeah. so I ended up getting a relationship, and that didn't work out. And like I said, I always got to be real with myself, I'm real with anybody else. And I have a conscience, a heavy conscience that will get at me. And it just wasn't working out with me and her. So I decided to let her go. Cause I felt like I was blessed blocking her blessings and I wasn't in it. Like she was in it. I couldn't match her energy and her love for me. So I had to let her go. And I wandered, I wandered around amongst the Columbus, you know, house to house and whatnot. And then I end up getting my daughter in November of 2016 and, you know, staying at people at my aunt's house, I had to make a move. So we went to a shelter and the shelter allowed, I got a job. I, I, and shelter allowed me to, you know, help me get get a place. But before that, when I first before I got I became a barber, like I said, I got caught up in the freedom, and I didn't get in, into a barber shop immediately. I didn't get. I got out in November. I didn't get into a barber shop till April. So after that, it's just I just saw the advantages and you know the freedom because I'm just a person after being controlled. You know, think about being at home. You're under the parent, your parents' control. And I got a little sip, snippet of freedom on my own. Got my had an apartment at the age of, and in, in the tenth grade, got me an apartment. My first apartment, which lasts a month and a half, because <laughs> that's when I caught my first felony for stealing from the store. And lost that, and you know, got with my baby mom, and we, you know, try to make a life with each other. That you know, that that day in Jane in November, '96, uh, you know, I, you know, I had to do what I had to do, and. End up getting caught up. Hmm. Do you have a good relationship with your baby mom? We do now. It was rocky. She was hurt. You know, she was hurt because we tried to, you know, my first summer, we got back together and 
I saw some things that just wasn't, I'm, you know, she had a lot of kids and, you know, me being a man, I'm the man of the house. So I got to move them out of a two bear out. You know, we got eight people living in a two bedroom apartment and I'm like, this ain't going to work. So, you know, and she just wasn't a person that I left. She totally changed. You can imagine what a decade and a half would do to a person, how much they would change. And so I just, you know, decided to leave. And when I left, you know, she called me and said that she was pregnant. Man, that's crazy. So how? So you, you said you only have one girl? No, I have six, six kids. Oh, I have a thirty-year-old who I left when he was four, six. I have a twenty-eight-year-old who was four at the time. I have a twenty-five-five-year-old, twenty-six-year-old who was eight months when I left, and I had another twenty-six year, twenty-six years old. He'd be twenty-six in October, and I left. You know, then when I I came home for eight months. It was just all bad. I, you know, that's when I really wanted to just die because, you know, I fell out with my family and, you know, baby moms is at me and I just, I just, you know, just didn't want to be here. I really didn't want to be here. I didn't have my kids. I didn't have nobody. I didn't have nobody in eight months. Really, the last three months, I didn't have nobody because the whole fall from September, August to December, I just went. I became a stick-up boy, kicking indoors and, you know, robbing dope boys. But then I got out and, you know, got went back in, got out, and it was just, it was like they were waiting for me to get back out. My first summer there, not even six, eight months, seven months, my baby mom found out, because I have three baby mothers. My baby mother found out, first one found out, that I was having, expecting another one, and she just straight threw me on child support. And it was just out of, they were just hurt for whatever, you know, whatever. Love, you know, love does make people do things and act in certain behavior, certain ways. Yeah, love would definitely do that to you for sure. And that's crazy. But I mean, I see through your process and through everything that you have been through, you seem to like, especially now, like, have your head over your shoulders and whatnot. And that's what I try to do. Like, I try to be an influence to the youth because, like you said earlier, like, a lot of these kids don't have anybody to talk to. And I can relate to an extent because I had people to talk to in a way, but I felt like I couldn't. And it's just, like, I know that feeling how it is to be, like, feel like you don't want, like nobody wants you or you just feel nobody like you don't even want you. yourself. Nobody understands you. A lot of times I can recall me being told that I'm talking, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking crazy. So I would be disregarded. So I will always keep my feelings and thoughts inside my head, you know, inside. And I realize it's like, you know, blowing, imagine blowing a hot air into a balloon and the hot air represents the con the issues that you have. Let's say, you know, somebody cut you off. Now you can, you got two choices. You can either suppress it and keep it pushing or you can go after it. So by suppressing it, you're blowing into that air, blowing that air into that balloon. But if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it and you don't let some of that air out by venting and talking to people, what's going to happen? That balloon is going to explode. And that's how humans have emotional breakdowns and, ep and episodes, anger-wise, negative-wise. Yeah. So it's important for another human being to be able to talk and uh, and have, uh, find somebody that can relate and understand 
what they're going through and not shun, shut them down or reject them. So that's what I bring to the table because I was that kid once. Yeah, I was too, definitely. Like, and you right, you are you right a hundred percent because I've had episodes like that because stuff was just going on. Nobody would pay attention. Nobody would listen. Or if I do say something, they'll be like, "Oh, you need to quit telling on people." But I'm confused because it's like, okay, you say if something happens, tell you. But then when I do tell you, you tell me to quit telling on people. But when I don't tell and I handle it myself, I get in trouble. Exactly, because you don't have the tools on how to how to handle it. You know, I learned in prison, I went to a class called Critical Thinking. And in that class, what stood out was the session of I over E. That's intelligence over emotions. And that's what we need to use, and which is very hard because we, we as humans, we use E over I, emotions over intelligence. So think about this. You get into a situation, your emotions take control of your thinking, and you become emotional. And once that emotion has died down, what happens? Your intelligence kick in, and you start asking yourself, why'd you do that? You know, you ain't have to do that. You start having these talks. You can, you know, that voice in your head will be telling you, your, that's your conscience, trying to figure, ask these questions, and you become intellectual, and you're like, at the end, you're like, no, well, I, I, I ain't have to do that. I could have went a whole totally way. But if we use I over E, and it only takes like three to five seconds to analyze the con- the situation and the consequences. And once you can do that, instead of after the effect, then me personally, I've used that. I found that that tool is very, very important to use because that tool right there, it helped me get out of a lot of situations. For example, I'm sitting in my car the other night and I'm in an alley and I see a you know, a guy, a brother walking by and he's looking, he don't see me in the car and he's just, he's casing, it looked like he's casing the joint. So he walks past my car and then I'm, I'm thinking, cause I'm really in tune spiritually with my intuition. And I said to myself, he's going to come back. And he did. And he's looking over the fence and whatnot. So I'm thinking the old me, my emotions start kicking in. Like, and before he came back, I'm like, he come back, I'm going to come out the car. But at the same time, my intelligence kicked in and was like, you know, if you do do something, he knows where you live. He knows he can do something with your car. You're going to lose that battle every trip. So your best bet is to just let it go. And what happened? I stayed in the car. He kept it pushing. And that was that. So by analyzing, taking that them couple seconds to analyze the situation, it prevented me from getting into a situation. So the proof is in the pudding. And we learn by through the experiences of life that what works if it ain't broke, don't mess with it. And if it works, install it into you and make it second nature when you're doing that. Automatically, you think it intelligently instead of emotionally. That's what I train myself to do. I'm not perfect because I'm human, like everybody else on this planet. So I have my moments. But it ain't the moments. The amount, It's about the amount of moments that you have and what you learn from it. So my moments are dropped, dropped significantly through the years. Because I'm learning, I've learned, and I'm learning more to control my emotions. Yep, gotta think before you act. Exactly, exactly. Understand there's consequences for every action. There's a reaction. That's the law of physics. Man, you ain't lie. You ain't lie one bit. Because, I mean, I bet we've all done it. Like we, it's you know, just 
As soon as something happens, it just turns. We just react automatically without even thinking. Automatically. Firecracker. Bam. We own it because we got so much internal issues that we don't have. See, the thing about the difference between me and other human beings, I had time away from society and life to reevaluate myself. And people out here, they're caught up in life. There's only 24 hours in a day. Divide that by three. What is a nine to five? That's eight hours, right? Yep. How many hours are you supposed to sleep? Eight. Exactly. So that means you got eight hours left, which we don't get. So you can probably, you know, six hours is the max. I mean, the most, uh, I, I think the average human gets. But we got like 12 hours. And then we got them two days that we don't work. So therefore, you know, you people out here are so consumed with daily life that they don't have time to take time out for themselves and soul search, shadow work, ask questions, and, and, and focus on the issues that's within and find a solution to a problem because for every problem there is a solution you just got to find it and hope that it works and people don't have that option because the world is just going 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 non-stop it's always something it's always a lot of distractions and i didn't have that distractions in prison yes especially with social media it's uh Oh my God! You put the, you got we got time. We can make time because think about the average time a person use on their phone on so on social media. You take that time and work within yourself. But if you don't know how, I can't teach you Spanish if I never learned Spanish. Right. So with that being said, you gotta learn. You gotta teach yourself, and it comes with you know. Once you start realizing, I realized that I'm special. I'm here for a reason. You know, all the things that I went through in life has showed me that, you know, I need to love myself because I didn't love myself. I, I hated myself. I hated everything about me. How I thought, the trouble that I always got into and got others in. My mom once told me that you are, you, she said, you like a dog that shits in other people's yards. That other, basically, I got, I'm shit. The dog is shit in someone's yard. And the dog ain't going to clean it up. Somebody else got to clean it up. So I wanted that to stop. And change don't come to you tired. I just got tired and tired. So, you know, I decided to make something change, some changes. And they started working for me. So what was, like, your breaking point when you were locked up, like, that made you, like, completely change all the way around? Uh, what was my breaking point? I got in trouble for something that I didn't do and ended up doing eight months in the home. Oh. Yeah, I, you know, my, my case, I've been a victim. It is what it is. I've been a victim of things that I didn't do. I got accused of things that I didn't do, like this case, attempted murder. You know, I didn't shoot nobody. I don't want to got shot because it was a police officer and I had a public defender. They didn't, you know, I wanted to go to trial because, you know, I'm like, I don't care how much time. I, I'm not pleading guilty to something I didn't do. Not a burglary, because I got hit with attempted murder, aggravated burglary, uh, them are two, 10 years apiece, max, uh, two felonious assault, because there was a child in the house. So me shooting a gun off, that was a, that was two felonious assaults. Uh, weapons under disability, because I was a convicted felon with a gun, and that was three years, and the other felonious assaults was eight years apiece. And then I had, from the, the 96 case, the 18 months that I did, for the robbery that I did, I had eight years on the show. So they gave me four of that and, you know, asked, had me plead guilty to the things that I did, to the one thing that I didn't do. 
and they could have just went on ahead and had me plead guilty to the attempt to uh, the aggravated burglary because aggravated burglary and attempted murder carried the same time. So they hit me with the you know attempted murder, and you know it is what it is. And I've been affected. I've lost opportunities, housing opportunities, employment opportunities, you know, you I come across women who do research on the men that they meet and, you know, they see that attempted murder, that's they they just see that, but they don't see the little they don't investigate and look dig deeper because there's a little number that indicates what kind of attempted murder it was. So it, it affected me a lot and I I got accused of doing things, but I got accused in Lucasville for uh, a fight that never happened. And, you know, I had time to reevaluate myself. Eight months is a long time in a single cell. I, I reevaluated myself at nighttime because we would stay up all night and sleep during the day. So I had time to evaluate myself. And I'm like, man, you got to change because you just, you just keep drawing negative energy towards you. That was the breaking point. And from that point on, that was like 2000, got locked up in... Uh, Jay, Jay, I went to prison December of 98, 99, 99, and that was about 2003, 2002. I started, you know, the breaking point came into play. Okay, okay. So, yeah, no, dang, so you got locked up like right before, right before 2000. Yeah, I missed the whole 2000. Yeah, I missed all that. But I'm a I'm an individual that knows how to adapt and make adjustments. So my transition out from prison to to the real world, it was smooth. It was it was really smooth to the point where people they would see who I am because I'm big and let people know who I am. So if you know how I am, then you know how to handle me. If I know how you are, I know how to handle you properly. So when I present myself to barbering, I would tell my story because my story is a testimony. And the fact of the matter is, if I can come from there to this, so can anybody else. You got to self-love. You got to have love for yourself. You got to be tired of the dumb stuff that's going on. You got to recognize your issues and, and try to make adjustments and correction. So I got it got to a point where I tell a person what I did and tell them my story, and they just can't believe it. This one guy was jealous of me in a barber because, you know, he wanted to be the second man in charge where I was. And he was like, he was a street, a street thug. He was like, you don't even act like you when he was in, you did 14 years. He was trying to insult me, but completely failed miserably. And what he did was he, he, uh, how should I say, he, he gave me a compliment. Yeah, he complimented me because you can't tell my behavior isn't of one of, that been in prison. Okay, okay. So, um, so with, with, so on the barber side, do you still work at a shop or do you have your own thing going on? How's that going? I I work at a shop. You know, I was told through my barber instructor, instructor that the best way to handle a situation like that is to get into the barber gang and learn how things are. That way you'll be more successful in being a barber. But as the time went on, I started seeing how these you know, niggas, we're going we're gonna to call a spade a spade, how these niggas move. And it's always something. They don't they don't stay. They, they dip out, owing. The, the owner won't pay booth rent. And that comes out of their pocket. And I just ain't got that to do. 
I don't want to hear no excuses because I treat people the way I want to be treated. You don't have to ask me for your money. So why should I ask you for your money? Right. Yeah, that's what's up, though. Hazel, do you plan on, like, having your own having your own barber spot? Uh, you know, it, I go with the flow. I'm really not interested. It's just, you know, it's, I'm really not. It's just not in my spirit. Like, you know, being a community activist, that was in my spirit. Uh, doing this, this is what I want to do. Uh, and I want to expand on this. I, I want to talk to kids. I want to mentor. I want to go to school. I want to help others, you know, teach people, give them ideal tools that help me get through what I went through and things of that nature. And just tell my story and try to inspire other human beings to, you know, just just try. That's all we can do. Like really, really put an effort into changing things in us that we need be, that we need to change. And I'm just, you know, yeah, I was kind of discouraged because, you know, just you could you could just see things and pay attention. You'll see everything that you need to see. And I just saw a lot of things dealing with that. If I was to do that, you know, you have to have like ten barbers. I pay 150 a week. You know, that's eight to ten barbers to really be successful so that you don't have to come out the pocket because the shop pays for everything. And that's just 10 issues that I really don't want to do because out of those 10, eight to 10, five of them going to be a problem in and out, in and out, in and out. I've seen so many, like I've seen so many come in and out and it's just, I don't have that to do. I'm really big on protecting my peace. I'm really big. I'm protecting my peace. And I see the frustration in the owners wanting barbers to be there. They're not there. And, you know, I just really don't have that to do. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that for sure. Especially, like, that is a lot of work, especially, you know, I mean, I I don't know anything about owning a barbershop, but I know about, like, you know, running a business and whatnot. And especially, like, Owning, but being in the barbershop, that's a whole different world of business. At least, you know, so I've never experienced it. Yeah, so, really. So, like, do you have any, do you, um, do you have any, um, any, like, programs for any kids or anything right now? Well, before Corona, everything was going so smooth until Corona came and just shut everything down. And, you know, before then, I was working with, uh, a, you know, a youth group that would have, I had my daughter in a, what do you call it, a summer program. And I was just, you know, just being around kids and, and that what, that much. But, you know, when I got, when the Corona thing, I was so used to, I was so used to being needed and people calling me for my services and being around people all the time because I would work every day. If I ain't at the shop, I'm at home. If I ain't at home, I'm at the shop. What better, what better place to go than at the, you know, at the barbershop where I'm meeting people and I'm having a good time and I'm making money at the same time. I'm meeting so many different people. There's so many Africans and Somalians in Columbus and they, we cut their hair. They come to us, African-Americans, to get their hair cut. So, you know, I'm meeting so many people and then all of a sudden it just shut down. Everything just shut down. Then came the community. Then came the protests in Columbus for the George Floyd shootings and whatnot. And I got really caught up in that, you know, doing my thing in that. And after that was, after I seen what was going on and how the uh, the citizens were just really playing with it, they weren't really serious. And then the officials were on some other stuff. So I kind of got discouraged. I get discouraged, and when I, I, I 
things hold my interest. I have a short attention span when things don't have my interest. When they don't have my interest, I'm cool. When they have my interest, I'm all in it. And I've lost interest. And being in this house all for a whole year, a school year, dealing with my daughter, she, you know, she she's doing school here at home. So from eight to four, I'm just monitoring her and helping her out. Just sitting here, and I, I fell into a depression that I had to get up out of. And you know, I, I finally got up out of it when they opened things up. So now I'm really trying to get my clientele back because it, my I went from 250 down to like 75 after Corona went in. So I'm trying to re, you know rebuild that. And also, you know, deal with my daughter because I had got married and I had my wife at the time, you know, helping me out while I go to work and get the money. She took care of the kids, her daughter and my daughter. So once we separated, you know, a couple of years ago, 2019, 2020, I end up uh, getting back at it where I heard doing it all by myself. So I had to make some real adjustments because I never really did that. She, I did her preschool, which was easy. Preschool was easy. First grade. Uh, my next wife did that in you know second grade I did that so you know she's in the second going into the third so I had to make some really serious adjustments and learn how to be uh, a full time dad by myself do you have any advice for any dads out there or any, any young men out there any young black men who need some advice be patient Kids are like kids are like clay. You can mold them, and if you don't mold clay, you know what happens. If it just sits there, it's going to harden into whatever it is. So you know, communicate with your kids. Communicate. Ask some questions. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that they're your world. You know, I talk to my daughter. We have. She's. I've been talking to her. I never, you know, baby talked to her or talked to her like a little kid because I knew that I'd be putting some things. It's my job to give her tools. And for her to understand me. So I started off the rip talking to her so she can get accustomed to how, you know, understanding how I come. So when she gets 10, 11, she's eight right now. So when she gets 10, 11, up in the double digits, she's going to already know that I can really lay it on. Like, I mold my child into who she, who she is now. Because she was, the first three years of her life, she was with her mother. And it was chaotic, a lot of negativity and, you know, her fighting with her 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 significant other, whoever that was at the time, and and she was very negative, violent, you know, trying to fight me and throwing tantrums, and I got a two belt, and in my two belt, I got so many different tools that I use to tighten tighten a human being up. So you know, I just be understanding, ask questions, because a typical dad, you think about it, in the household, the mother does everything. The dad, the house design, the dad just goes to work. And think about boys, boys in the hood where Trey was getting out of hand and the mother's like, I got to send it to your dad's because she's like, I nurtured him. Now it's your turn to turn into a man. So, you know, I surround my daughter by positive people, you know, positive influences. And uh, one thing I stress in my household, in my kingdom, this is my kingdom, that there would be no arguing in my kingdom. Not just for my sake and my peace, but I don't want my daughter to see that. So I, I set the stage and, and created a positive environment for my child. And that's what needs to be done. It's taking accountability of what's going on and where's your, what you're understanding your role. Because the difference, everybody can be a father. Any man that has a child is automatically a father. 
What makes a father a dad is the work that they put in. You have to put that work in. That's why I have a thing about Father's Day. You know, it should be a dad's day because there's a difference. Any man that has a son, a child, is a father. So therefore, they have the right to celebrate Father's Day. You can be in a store and see a man like Happy Father's Day. You got to, you know, have a conversation with Father's Day. You got you got any kids? Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Thank you. You you would never know if he's a dad. He might not have. He might have kids, but don't even mess with him. But you can still say Happy Father's Day. He can still say thank you because he is a father because he had children. That's not what it's about. It's about what you put into that child that determines if you are a dad. That's a title. What is the first thing a baby says? Dad, dad. Who calls their their dad father? No, they call him dad. Like you, like this is my dad. He raised me and installed the things. But this is my father. He just birthed me. Big difference. So just. You know, understand that they're kids. They're kids. They have no clue what's going on out here. But it's our job to teach them things and be patient with them. That's the key, being patient. Because I wasn't patient. I was extremely aggressive at the time when I, I came home. And, you know, I, I would take my anger out on her, but I had to catch myself. And it took me a while like, to understand that this is a child. This is an innocent child who has no idea, don't know how to control their emotions. It's just they're fresh in this game. So we have to take that under consideration and talk to them softly and explain things like, why are you on punishment? And instead of whoopings, you know, use other tactics because the government that took them beatings out. You know, my, my generation and after me, we was getting beaten until the government was like, you know, that's child abuse. Beatings are things are getting beat with items and getting grooves and all. Whooping ain't no wrong with whooping. Every child, human needs a whooping one time in their life. But there's a difference between a whooping and a beating. So I would just, you know, understand that this is a child. I'm not perfect, but hey, I done came a long way making them adjustments with her. And she has made me into, you know, the man that I am, the father, the dad that I am. You know, I, I cover her with love and just give her so much positive energy. And the problem with today's parents, they they make, you know, you got to make deposits into a child. And deposit, when you make a bank deposit, that's a good thing, right? You, you're making a good thing. But if you keep making more withdrawals, do you do deposits? That's not good. You uh, Every five times, every 10 times, uh, every 10, 10 episodes, out of the 10 episodes, I'm on her, you you know, I'm on her yelling and this, that, and another, but then when I try to be nice and, and give her some, make a, a, a deposit, it's no good, because I done made so much many withdrawals out of there that I'm in a negative. So, you know, you gotta under, you just gotta understand that they're kids, and talk to them, and, and, and just mold them. Every chance you get is an opportunity to mold them. So that's what I would say to any, you know, father dealing with, you know, you can't raise a, they say you can't raise a, a man, a boy into a man, a woman can't raise a boy into a man, and, and a man can't raise a woman, a child, a girl into a man. That's true, but you can give them examples. You can put people, positive influences around them because we can all show people better than we can tell them. And you got to take accountability of your actions and protect them, protect their innocence and allow them to be children. Too many parents are, make, you know, these kids is growing up fast. Ten years old, changing diapers. You already know how to change a diaper. No. No. So, yeah, that's what I would tell. All righty. Yeah, that's a good, that's some good advice. You heard them fellas out there, man. Just be better fathers. Communication is the key. But we're uh, we're almost out of time. So... 
how can everybody get in contact with you? Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm new to this. I'm working on it. I didn't, I didn't anticipate the response that I've been getting since I've been doing this for like six days. Uh, but I've been talking all my, you know, I'm, like I said, I was told that I didn't know what I was talking about. So I shut down. But once I heard my voice and once I start seeing people feel what I was saying, oh, that opened the floodgates. So, you know, my, my Gmail, I really don't put nothing on my social media outside of letting people know who I am. You know, with me, when I meet somebody, I go straight to, I ask for their Facebook page because I know how to read between the lines and get an idea of what I'm dealing with. So I, I set my Facebook page to let a person know what I'm, how I'm coming. But in the meantime, in between time, you can reach me at Jarrell Lamar Facebook or Jarrell Lamar on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is just, you know, just showing people things and what I don't really take it serious. But Facebook is where I find you can find me until I get my YouTube page and all the other things that are necessary for me to push myself out there. All righty. And make sure also Columbus, a couple people in Columbus do tune into the podcast. So if y'all need a haircut, y'all need a lineup or something, hit my boy up because he got the hookup for the cookup. Hey, as they say, as Val Kimmer said in the movie Tombstone, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jarrell, I appreciate you being on the show. We definitely going to have to have you back on again for uh, future episodes. And y'all make sure y'all follow him on his social media and check out his barbering. God bless y'all. Put out positive energy every chance you get. Every chance you get. Protect your peace by any means necessary. Protect your peace because the world is designed to disrupt your peace. Yes, sir. Positive vibes only. But y'all have a good night. What's the deal? It's your boy Chris Childs, aka Young Light Skin Hokage, business mogul, entrepreneur, artist slash shoe customizer. You can find me at underscore Chris Childs on social media or www.shopchrischilds.com. And you tuned into the candy shop. Ya dig? What's up, everybody? It's Gina Payne from Let's Talk About It, the show where no subject is off limits. You can catch us everywhere Fridays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And we're coming to YouTube real soon. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Let's with two S's Talk About It underscore. So without further ado, you are now listening to Candyman TV. Let's get into the show.